Hi, I'm Ty Young, owner and founder of Ty J. Young Wealth Management, and you're listening to the Financial Health Fast Track. We're going to do things a bit differently on this special bonus cut series. We took a look at the world here in 2021. We saw so many investors making the same mistakes and the same mediocre decisions with their finances. And as we come out of the pandemic, we couldn't just sit back. So we asked, what questions are you seeking answers to? And holy cow, did you respond? I thought it was going to be one episode, but hopefully we can get all your questions into three episodes, all three packed with timely tools answering your direct questions designed to help you reach greater success right now. But before we get started, as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And for more information, visit Ty J. Young backslash disclosure. All right, rev your engines, get set, strap in. It's time for the fast track to financial health bonus cut. All right, it is Market Watch 2021, and you have sent in tons of questions, and I'm fired up to uh, to get them answered today. And uh, I've got a a special guest um, with me today. Her name is Amanda Sabria. She is uh, um, an entrepreneur, a business founder, and an owner. She owns her own marketing firm. She has bought and sold companies. Um, She won, and I'm making up this name, but this is more appropriate if you ask me, the Brainiac Award from Google, along with a, you can't say grants. So, but it was fantastic. I'll tell you that. So, um, anyway, um, she's here with me today and and what she's going to do is is she's going to ask me some of these questions and she's actually, um, kind of interview me with the questions, but she also has some very unique insights into the answers to some of these questions. Um, she says she's not an expert, but uh, I beg to differ when I ask questions. So Amanda, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm excited to dive into these questions um, and pick your your brain. You're the expert that I always go to. So we're going to kick it off with the first question, and that is, is Bitcoin a safe investment? What is the underlying value? And I'm skeptic about it. Yeah. So is Bitcoin a safe investment? Well, Bitcoin, I mean, it's like it's like $50,000 of Bitcoin right now, maybe 55,000, something crazy. It was down $5,000 in one day. It could be down $25,000 a day. It could be up $25,000 in a day. I would not characterize that as safe. Um, now, over a long period of time, is it a, uh, is it a good investment? Uh, it certainly could be. Um, but is there a risk there? Yes. Um, did you put your grandmother's money into uh, to Bitcoin? All of it. Uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with no. So, is it a safe investment? Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, is there a place for it in? portfolios. I think that a year ago, I would have said no to that. Today, um, I think that cryptocurrencies, which Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, and there's many other many other um, cryptocurrencies out there, some that people prefer over Bitcoin, um, I, they, it's becoming its own asset class. And, and as I prepared um, for this podcast and questions, I started doing some study and what I learned looking at these, these cryptocurrencies, and this goes to the, the question, what's the underlying value? What I learned with these cryptocurrencies is they have become a hedge against inflation. You've seen 
gas prices go up dramatically recently. Um, you've seen the price of cryptocurrencies go up dramatically lately. That might be a function of unbridled, um, uncontrollable inflation. I mean, we don't really know, but that's what the movement in these in these cryptocurrencies seems to uh, seems to indicate. Um, it used to be that gold and silver, you know, were the were the go to or precious metals and other commodities were the go to as hedges against inflation. But many experts are now saying that um, that cryptocurrencies might be the the crazy hedge against inflation that that or the hedge against inflation that gold and silver you know used to be. I mean, at this point, it's brand new to the uh, to the equation. Now, Amanda, it's interesting. You know, I started talking about this. I think your comment was, "This is my jam." Right. This is <laughs> yeah. this is your this is your thing. Uh-huh. And that that surprised me a bit. Um, and then, of course, I have a bunch of follow up questions after that. Didn't okay. I? But Great. but uh, so um, the Bitcoin is not your cryptocurrency and you're an owner of cryptocurrencies. I am. I'm an owner of Bitcoin and I'm an owner of Ethereum and I'm an owner of Litecoin and I'm an owner of storage. Wow. OK, so how many cryptocurrencies I'm sure there's tons of them, but how many are how many are there, if you know, and, and how many would you say are viable and well-known and buyable and tradable? I would say two right now. Um, you could day trade the smaller coins if you have the time. But like Ty said earlier, I actually agree with you. It can go high um, and it can go up dramatically one day and it can go down dramatically the next day. So I actually think there's greater risk in cryptocurrency right now than the stock market. I think there are cryptocurrency fanatics that would, you know, dramatically disagree with me. However, that's how I view it. But I think right now the two that I'm really investing in and looking at is Ethereum, which is number one, and Bitcoin, which is number two. All right, Ethereum. Actually, let me back up. I want to clarify clarify what you said there just a second. You said you think there is more risk in cryptocurrency than the stock market. The nut jobs think it's the opposite, but you think there's more risk in not nut jobs, but you know, perceived experts, um, right? right? Those guys, right. right? So those guys that we disagree with. Um, so, so you think there's more risk in there than the stock market? I, I certainly. Yeah, as of today, I definitely do. Just because I don't feel like it's. It hasn't been met with any regulatory um, friction yet. And we're still trying to figure out how Bitcoin and cryptocurrency just as a whole can function in the main society. And your how it can function in main society. I guess you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin now. That Right. And so and I think that's where, you know, I bought Bitcoin four or five years ago, right? I had a lot less money than I did now, so I wasn't able to buy that much, but I bought it because back then I was a young art school college student. I was like, this is gonna change the world, right? And I I didn't think forward. And for like five years, I was like, there's no way that this is actually gonna become something. And then when, you know, Elon was like, Okay, you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Elon Musk. Yeah, right. Elon okay. Musk yeah, I got you. from Tesla. I was in, I said, oh, okay, this is about to be, this is about to make its way into main society. And I want to have 
a large part of it. And so that's when I started investing more. Wow. Just just really quickly, I treat it exactly how you treat it, right? I, I treat it as an asset class. I actually don't view it as as an investment that I will touch in my lifetime. I view it as something that I will pass on to my kids um, or my grandchildren. It's something that, it, like you said, it's a long, long-term investment. It's something I plan to sit in for my entire life. Wow. I'm not trading it. Wow. All right. So, um, the end of that question that the that came in from one of the one of the emails um, was, "I'm a skeptic. Um, I am too, but I'm becoming less and less of a uh, of a skeptic. Um, I think they're I think they're here to stay." I think that in everyone listening to me, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a conservative investor. My my um, whole mantra, everything we do is about protecting principle and increasing returns. Bitcoin is a is a, a departure you know, from that. But I get a lot of questions from people who are very, very conservative saying, should they uh, should they own that? So um, don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but that's very enlightening. And, and actually, one quick follow up question here. Um, Ethereum, um, that's your favorite one. That's my favorite one. Um, and again, you profess not to be an expert, but it seems like maybe you are. Um, so the the. Uh, the art piece of that. What's the the connection to art and people selling art for crazy amounts of money in Ethereum, and and that ties to the guy that owns the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban, and he's selling tickets like that. So they're they're with the blockchain. There is kind of a patent kind of a feel with Ethereum. Um, for our listeners, not I didn't know that. Maybe a lot of people know, but I didn't know. So for the listeners that don't know, if you'd shed some light on that, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So Ethereum is by far my favorite coin. Um, it is my fa- favorite coin because it's steady and it's smooth. And like you, Ty, I'm pretty middle of the road um, with my financial investments. And so I think Bitcoin has more volatility in, in it. However, Ethereum is is built, it came after Bitcoin. It's bit, built on a more steady blockchain and more trackable blockchain. So it's a, a bit more secure. And so what you're starting to see is you're starting to see other innovative technologies built on top of Ethereum. And one is NFT, so non-fungible tokens. And how that is bleeding into the world is people are starting to mint, they call it mint, their digital artwork. And essentially they will be able to track it and how it passes hands across the world. So you're starting to see people sell just JPEG photos for $69 million or $2 million or, you know, $2 million for a tweet, a, a screenshot of a tweet. Um, the Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, has stated that he is going to start selling Dallas Mavericks tickets as NFTs so that when they're resold, he can take a commission off of it. So I just think that the world that can be built on top of Ethereum is a lot more vast and expansive than the world of Bitcoin being able to transact with Bitcoin. Um, with Ethereum, you are investing into a foundational principle that a bunch of other 
innovations are going to be built on top of, whereas Bitcoin is strictly transactional right now. Wow. You know, it's crazy as you as you learn about new subjects. And, and by the way, for all the listeners here, um, this is not a recommendation to buy cryptocurrency. Not at all. Yeah, you, you shouldn't. Necessarily, I mean, if you're if you're in retirement and you're you know, things are going well, your money's safe and it's growing. Um, uh, taking a big chunk and going to, to a cryptocurrency is is nuts. Um, just just I want to get that out there and say that it's not a recommendation, but we got a lot of questions about it. Super, uh, you know, super, super fascinating. Um, let's uh, let's move on, if we okay. uh, could, to some of the other questions that we got. Yeah. So, sort of in an interesting way, piggybacking off of the cryptocurrency, we got a lot of questions about gold, silver, recessions, and depressions. So, wow. These two questions are, do we need gold or silver in our portfolio as a hedge against recession, depression, or collapse of the dollar? Or do we need any silver or gold in our portfolio at all? Crazy question. So inflation, recessions, depressions, you mean uh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? So a lot of things on the on the horizon, potentially, there's, you know, you have the, the, the chain emails going out, scaring the heck out of people. Um, but uh, let me kind of just give you a, you know, some facts and figures and, and let you draw your own conclusions. So as a country, um, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or left side of the aisle, both, both types of administrations have done it over the past Seems like more than 20 years now. We've been printing money at unprecedented levels. We printed more money in the last 12 months than in the history of the world. In the history of the world, we printed more money in the last 12 months than it's ever been printed before. So um, we're we're printing money. What, what happens when you print money? Well, you dilute the value of the currency, um, which generates inflation ultimately. We are also holding interest rates at historic lows. Um, and what that does is it pushes money into the market, um, into the stock market, therefore printing the money and holding interest rates low pushes the stock markets up. And that's, that's why that does that. But if you look at that clinically, we're doing everything and anything we can possibly do to generate inflation, even hyperinflation. Um, the reason that we don't have that yet at this point, in my opinion, is because um, the dollar enjoys the reserve currency status. The U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. That status is starting to be diminished. But um, for the most part, um, all big transactions, oil, gas, um, you know, the major commodities are all done in U.S. dollars. Again, that's starting to change. Um, but um, because we are the reserve currency of the world, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency. Of the world. I don't think that's I think that's why we've not seen hyperinflation. Um, but. As I study these cryptocurrencies, um, it's it, those are tremendous hedges against inflation. It appears the inflation that we're getting to the dollar um, is showing up in things like um, building materials, um, gold, silver, and to a very large degree, these cryptocurrencies. So people ask me, all right, should I own gold? Should I own silver as a hedge against inflation? Well, I can tell you, and I kind of say this tongue in cheek, but if, if we get hyperinflation and I have a brick of gold or you have a brick of gold and I've got a loaf of bread and I'm going to feed my family that loaf of bread, I don't think I really want your gold. I'd rather just feed my family, right? So, if 
you know, as a hedge against inflation, yes, as a cure or, or a ultimate solution to inflation, maybe uh, maybe not so much. I say this tongue in cheek as well. You know, I mean, I guess you can take the the brick the, the brick of gold and hit a deer in the head with it. You know, and and maybe you can feed your family with the deer, or maybe guns and ammunition are a better or a better option. And I'm not necessarily recommending any of those things, but are are is gold and silver a hedge against inflation? It is. Um, is are we doing anything and everything we can do to generate inflation? Yes. So should you own some gold and silver and some precious metals? Um, it is reasonable to own a small portion um, of, of gold, silver, and different commodities in your, uh, in your portfolio. Is it safe? get that question all the time. Is gold safe? Is silver safe? And I have to put the question back to you. Um, can gold go down? We answer, the answer to that question is yes, it can. Can silver go down? Yes, it can. Is it safe? Not if it can go down. Um, not safe. So um, the long and the short of it is, is, um, is there a place in your portfolio for gold, silver, or even Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency? Maybe. Depends upon your own individual situation. But I can tell you, if you are in retirement right now, maybe you're, maybe you're at 60, maybe you're at 65, maybe you're at 70, maybe you're at 55, um, be very, very careful adding assets um, that, uh, that, can be, that can be crazy, uh, crazy volatile. And by the way, I didn't tell you um, that Amanda um, is is also the the founder and CEO of the marketing company um, that we use right here at Ty J and Ty J Young. She is uh, helps do all the marketing, so I, it's obviously natural to have uh, to have her here with me ask these questions. So, with that, without further ado, the next question, if we could. Yes. So, okay, to piggyback off of inflation and depression. With, with those two things on the horizon, where do we invest a whole bunch of savings to preserve it? All right. So where do you invest money to preserve it? To to have it safe, um, there's three ways to have your money completely protected against losses. FDIC insurance, treasury bonds, and then third, guaranteed insurance contracts. Those are the only ways to have your money completely protected against losses. Now, FDIC insurance, a one-year CD right now might pay one, one and a quarter percent if you really shop around. If you buy a 10-year treasury bond right now, backed up by the U.S. government, um, that's going to be about one and a half, one and three quarters right now is the rate of return. Not an ex- Again, that's not an acceptable rate of return to most people. And the last way to have your money completely protected against market losses are guaranteed insurance contracts. And um, as you know, listening today, that that's our clients really, we use those to a very large degree and our clients um, like them. And the reason they like them, they average historically about six to 8% if they're set up properly to begin with and you make changes on an annual basis to squeeze out as much return as possible. In terms of having your money protected against market losses, that's the place that's going to give you the uh, the greatest rate of uh, greatest rate of return. Um, so, if you have savings and you want it safe, you want to max out the rate of return. You've got some you've got some decent options. So that leads us to the next question, which is: with all the printing of new money by our government, how do we protect our investments with Ty J Young? wealth management from the devaluation of our dollars in the funds. See, that's, that's an interesting question and a tough one um, because um, the U.S. dollars are what you use to buy um, annuities. Um, U.S. dollars are what you use to buy stocks and bonds 
and mutual funds. And just about every investment that you buy in the U.S., you buy with U.S. dollars. So um, the question is, where do you go? What, what currency do you go to to hedge against inflation? Um, do you go to the, the Canadian currency? Do you go to the euro? Do you go to the renminbi, the Chinese uh, currency? Do you go to a South American security? Do you go to Venezuelan? I'm kidding. Um, Venezuelan currency? No. Um, the, what, the, the, the printing of money, what we've got to do is we've got to square that away in Washington. There, there is no doubt about that. The, the hedge, um, to hedge that money in these investments, they're in U.S. dollars. Very, very difficult thing to, uh, to do. So any investment you buy in the U.S., you're buying in U.S. dollars. So it's subject to the devaluation of the dollar. That's a problem in Washington that we have to solve. Got it. So now let's talk about investing directly. Okay. So we had um, a client ask, if I want to be in cash, is it best to do it now or in six months? If you want to be in cash, is it better to do it now or in six months? Well, let me look into my crystal ball here and I'll tell you, let's see, when's the stock market going to crash? You know, I don't know. Um, th- th- no one knows. So if you want to be in cash, yesterday is the time to do it. And what I mean by that is if, if you want to be in cash because you want your money safe and you want it completely liquid where you can get to every dime of it at any time um, and you don't want to lose any of it, then the time to be in cash is now. To try to time the market and say six months from now, I should I want to take my money out when the market's higher. I don't know if the market's going to be higher in uh, in six months. I mean, I've been saying for years that I think the market could, uh, could correct 50%. And I still think that. But it might go up 200% before it does, right? Especially with the manipulation in, in that we have in the market with printing of currency and holding interest rates. So the answer to that question is, if you want your money safe, now's the time to do it. So we had someone send in a question. I want to buy stocks, but don't know where to start. Do you sell stocks or can you buy them for me? How would I pay for them? All right. So if you want to buy an individual stock and you know the, you know, you know, the company you want to buy stock in, you know, maybe you want to buy stock in one particular company that you uh, that you know um, very well. Maybe it's you know maybe it's Delta Airlines, just as uh, just as an example. That one happens to be in the news right now. Um, so you want to buy that stock? You can go to any a large brokerage firm, uh, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, um, and there's there's many other ones that um, that many times you can do the trades for free. So if you want to buy an individual stock. You can get it done actually for free with one of those firms and and, uh, and many others. Um, we we do manage equity portfolios um, for accredited investors, so it's a large amount of money. We we certainly we certainly do that, but individual stocks um, for folks they're they're much better served to do it where the cost is so much lower. Okay, I'm really excited about this next question because I love your answer to it and. I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what a true diversified portfolio is. So the question is, what does a diversified portfolio look like in today's world of investing? What percentages of stocks, bonds, real estate, precious metals, et cetera, are recommended? Wow, a diversified portfolio. See, back in the day, um, a diversified portfolio, people believed that a diversified portfolio equaled safety. It does not. Um, Prior to 2008, we believed, um, we should have known better, but we believed that 
um, a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds and mutual funds, precious metals, all those things. Um, we got safety through diversification because we believe that when, when stocks are going down, bonds are going up, or when bonds are going up, um, gold's going down. And so these things all worked um, together to provide safety. Um, Eh, false. Thanks for playing. Because in 2008, when the stock market went down, every major asset class went down all at the same time. Well-diversified portfolios went down 50% at that time. So, is, there, is, is the, the theory of diversification a good one? Absolutely. But it has to be done right. Diversification means more than diversifying with risk-associated assets. It also includes assets that are protected against market losses. Here is the building block. Here is the, the rule of thumb to start with. If you are 60 years old, again, this is a rule of thumb. It's going to vary person to person, and this is not a recommendation necessarily. But if you are 60 years old, you should have 60% of your money completely protected against losses. Um, back you know, 50 years ago, they would say if you're 60 years old, you should have 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks. I'm not so sure I agree with that, um, but it, let, let's just say that's the case. Instead of having bonds, because bonds don't really pay anything right now, there are other assets like fixed index annuities you could use um, for that 60% to give you the safety that you need, that you want, the growth that you need, maybe the income that you need as well, as well as having some, uh, some stock. So, diversification comes down to your personal risk tolerance, where your station in life, your age, what your goals are, and then it has to be done in an intelligent, thoughtful way, including risk-associated assets and assets that are completely protected against losses. Wonderful. Okay, so this next one is interesting and it may be very relatable to a lot of our listeners. It goes a little something like this. I have several different investments with several different companies. Some are in retirement accounts and some aren't. I just turned 65 and I am drawing my social security benefits and trying not to touch my investments for as long as possible. I am debt free. Is there a need or good reason to combine all of my investments in one account with one company? If so, why and when should I do that? Well, when we say good for you for being debt free, that's huge in uh, in retirement. Um, so the question is, should you have should you combine all the investments into one account or one company? A couple of quick thoughts. When when I sit down with folks and when I talk with folks over the phone now with with COVID, it's over Zoom and over the phone. Um, so when when I talk with folks, what I find is if they have five or six different advisors. They typically have the same investments with five or six different advisors. So they're not diversifying their assets, they're diversifying personalities of advisors. Um, they're also complicating their life. Um, so, you know, why? Why would you, why would you go and, and combine everything? Well, it's interesting, Amanda. You know, I've never, I've done tens of thousands of investor interviews. And as I think back, never one time ever can I think of anybody that said to me, Ty, I want to complicate my financial life. That has never happened. 
that what people say to me is, Ty, I want to simplify. I want to simplify my finances. My life's too complicated. My finances are too complicated. Um, you know, I got the, 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 all these different bills from all these different places. All these statements come in every month. You know, I, I, I don't know what I have. So what people really want is what, when it comes down to it, what people really want with their money, it seems to me, in my experience, is they want, um, they want security and they want it to be simple. Um, if, if people tell me if it's, if it's safe and it's simple and it's high quality, um, that's what the, they're willing to pay for that. They want that. So all that said, the reason that you do it is you want it simple for yourself and you want it simple for your loved ones. God forbid something happens to you. So to simplify, it makes sense. Also, if you have one person um, quarterbacking your football team, you got a chance of winning. If you have five quarterbacks on the field, probably would not be as organized. It would probably be harder to to execute the game plan. You see, if you have five different advisors, just as an example, you have five different game plans, five different agendas, five different things, and, the, and those people typically are not talking to each other. So the reason to do it is a coordinated effort to achieve your goals, to simplify, have security and growth all at the same time. Got it. Last question on general investing. How should I invest my money if I sell my rental properties? All right. Um, coming out of rental properties right now, a lot of people do that. Talking about simplifying your life. If you have five different rental properties and five different tenants, and as you sell that, your life does get more simple, but you do have to find a place to put the money. Um, you know, and it, it comes down to what are your goals and objectives? If you're not going to need the money for a period of time, I um, mean, you just want it to grow. There's some good options there. If you need income um, right away, um, there's also some good options. So if you want it, if you want it protected and a lot of people use real estate because they're not making any more of it, um, but it becomes a hassle sometimes to manage. So as they come out, we do use um, guaranteed insurance contracts to protect that money um, and grow the money at the same time. And for many folks, we can start an income right away that was equal to or similar to the income they were getting from the rental property, just minus the headaches. That's interesting. Similar income to the income they were making from the rental property without the headaches. That's incredible to me. I can tell you it's incredible for them too, um, because chasing around tenants and getting them to pay, unless you have the perfect tenants, and I haven't met them yet. Um, I'm sure there are some, but um, chasing people around, get them to pay, and it, it, it can be a hassle for folks. And you know, so the long and the short of it is, it's a lot more simple if you if you're not having to chase folks around. Got it. Simplicity is key. Okay. Before we close out this episode, we are going to take it to conservative investments, which is my favorite type of investment. So I'm excited to, to ask these questions. So the first one is, can you recommend a conservative investment with a, at least a 6% return? And also what's the best conservative investment growth strategy for a retiree? All right. Um, Conservative investments. To me, conservative means little or no risk. Um, I think that's what it means to to a lot of people. And if you don't want risk, you don't want market risk. And you guys have heard me say this many, many times. There's only three ways to do it. FDIC insurance, which pays about one. Treasury bonds, a 10-year treasury pays not quite two right now. And then third, guaranteed insurance contracts. The best guaranteed insurance contracts, a fixed index annuity, if you, if you have the right one, 
and it's set up properly and it's managed on a on a yearly basis and changes made to get the most return, those are going to average historically about six to eight percent. Now that can be used for growth and just let it compound every year, or that can be used for income to put in your uh, to put in your pocket and the or a combination thereof. That's going to be the best choice. Got it. So that and you might repeat yourself here, but I want to make sure I get this in. We had someone say, I lost money in the market years ago. I am retired, so I want something safe. What investment is safe where the money is protected? Same three ways. The, the, the same three ways. The, the uh, FDIC insurance, which is about 1%. Treasury bonds, which are about two on a 10-year. And then third, guaranteed insurance contracts, historically about 6 to 8% um, rate of return. I mean, obviously, these aren't recommendations. These are kind of just, those are just facts. Um, in, 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 you know, so it, it really comes down to um, a number of factors and what you're trying to achieve as you choose, determines which one you should choose for you. Got it. And so that stands, you would say the same exact thing for someone that's in their 80s. They have several hundred thousand dollars to work with. Right now, they're trying to make a choice on where they should put their money. It's been in the bank for now, um, but they want to make a safe choice. It's the same thing, right? It is. I mean, there's a reason that people have money in the bank. And the reason they have money in the bank is that makes them feel secure. See, I mean, a a big factor in retirement is the sleep at night factor. Um, If your money's in the bank because that helps you sleep at night, there is a lot of merit in that. Um, If you're paying off your house because that makes you feel secure, there's a lot of merit in that. So it really comes down to what makes you feel secure. But if if you want it secure and you want to maximize growth, same answer. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So that is all of our questions for... Market Watch 2021. Thank you, Ty. Uh, that's uh, always fun. And uh, we'll have a couple more coming up. All right. We have come to the end of Bonus Cut Market Watch 2021. But do you still have questions? We have a few episodes left. All you need to do is just, if you have more questions and we haven't answered them yet, just shoot us an email at info at tyjyoung.com with your question. We'll do our very best to get it answered in one of the upcoming episodes.